when I was in Ireland this summer, um, I encountered something very unusual, and it was that whenever we would enter a home or an establishment, uh, the people that would open the door, they'd see you, and, and they would say this, you're very welcome. And it threw me because usually welcome is something we say in response to something. You know, when someone says, thank you, oh, you're very welcome, you're welcome. And it threw me for a while, and I was trying to figure out why are they saying this? Why are they, they're not following with welcome. And then I realized they were leading with welcome. They wanted to make it abundantly clear, clear from the first moment the door was open that, that we were truly welcome into their, into their home. And so there's some way I'm trying to, to figure out how to lead more with welcome in my life. And I wanted to, to do something. I've been doing this for a little bit with us. But I wanted to just um, to say to you this morning, you are very welcome. All of you are welcome. And all of you is welcome. And then I want us to pause for a second. And in your heart, would you just take a moment to welcome God into this space? Welcome the Christ. Amen. Wow, that, uh, that was powerful, Kyle. I appreciated that. That was really good. Um, it's funny, I was originally supposed to sing. Um, but after I sang in last week's sermon, they said that we're going to go with Kyle instead. So, you know, it works. Um, th- this, could you put that photo back up for a minute that we were looking at? Um, that, that's a, I'm sorry, I said it again. This is a painting, not a photo. But a look at this picture for a minute. Look at Joseph. What's he thinking right now? Look how exhausted Mary is. And they're just sitting in that moment, and this is kind of the traditional image we have of Christmas, this little eight-pound, six-ounce newborn baby Jesus. And it's easy to see in this photo just uh, the, the enormity of what does it mean for God to become helpless to help us. We should marvel at that, and this should be a thought that we have. But sometimes we can carry this image of this helpless Christ baby into his life and into his death, and we kind of can get the viewpoint sometimes that maybe he's a person that the cross happened to, that he was a passive participant in this, in this process of, of, a, of a God driving him to death at the hands of hateful men, and he's just kind of going along. And I want to show you something that I hope is going to just cast a new light on the reality of Christmas for us. This morning, our Advent text is going to be in the New Testament, in the letter to the Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 10. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, the, at Pulpit Rock, every Advent season, we follow this liturgical calendar. So we don't pick the passages that we're going to do. We just They're, they're chosen for us. And today was kind of an unusual one out of Hebrews 10. It's not one I think that I would have ever picked as a Christmas passage. It's nothing in it about a baby or a manger or shepherds. It's kind of not really a Christmassy passage at all, but as I've come to see it, I think there's something powerful in it for us that will remind us of something deep. Now, this letter we call Hebrews was uh, written, we don't know who by, but it was written to a group of believers that were really struggling with something. See, they, they had come to, out of this captivity of religion and into this genuine faith of following Jesus Christ. And they were facing all kinds of pressure from their families. Come back. Come back to the fold. 
They're facing pressures from outside. Go away from that thing. This is a weird deal. Go away. On all this stuff they're facing, and they were tempted to go, you know, maybe it's easier just to go back. And so, in a sense, this author of this letter is kind of like Moses in the book of Exodus. He's telling them, no, keep going forward. There's nothing back there for you. And kind of the, the main thrust of this whole letter is really just this simple statement that Jesus is better. And what Jesus is doing to us and through us is better than we could have imagined. Now, we're actually going to be in this book of Hebrews uh, starting in January in a new series. But again, the text came to us today, so we're going to jump ahead to Hebrews 10. Now, let me give you some background before we get into this. Jesus once told us this. He said, the reason that I came was to bring life. Life is the point. God created us for life. And anything that comes against that life is called sin. Now, God had come up with a, a system to deal with people's sin. There were rituals where we would be cleansed. A priest would take an animal and would sacrifice it. That seems kind of an odd system to come up with. Why would killing an animal, what does that do? I think part of it is this. When we would watch the blood drain out of this animal, it taught us something. That life is precious. That life matters. That life has cost to it. That life is the point. And the ways that we had turned away from God and the ways that we had turned away from each other and the ways that we turned away from ourselves... These are our sins, and they came against this life. And so God is being gracious to us by giving us a system to allow our, our sins to be temporarily cleansed. But that's the problem. They were temporary. Priests had to keep getting up year after year and bring another animal, bring another animal. If you kept taking your car back to the mechanic week after week after week, would you say that your car was fixed? No. The system never took care of the real problem, which was our hearts. And if you think about it from the, the perspective of these animals, they, they had no choice. They were led unwillingly to this spot. They had no agency in it. It was involuntary. They didn't care about the people they were dying for. They didn't understand what was happening. It's just one moment they were there, and then they were these passive participants. But then we come to Christ in Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 10, chapter 10, the author does something that a lot of New Testament authors would do. They would look to the Old Testament and they would take words and passages that were about one thing and then they would say, hey, did you know that this was really about Jesus the whole time? And they would explain it that way. And he does that right here. He's going to quote something from Psalm 40. And so what he's going to do right now is he's about to put some words into the mouth of Jesus. So we're going to actually hear Jesus speaking uh, Psalm 40 as if they are his words. And so look in verse 5 with me. When the Messiah comes into the world, this is what he says. Now, he's speaking to his father. You didn't want sacrifices and offerings. Instead, you've given me a body. God, you never wanted a system of involuntary sacrifices where unwilling animals died to temporarily cleanse people from sin. No, instead, you gave me a body. You sent me. I was born here. And then here's the part I love. You didn't like burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then I said, look, here I am. That is what it says about me in the scroll and in the book. I've come, oh God, to do your will. And here's what I wanted you to see this morning. Not only did Jesus die for us, he did it willingly. He chose it. 
look, here I am. I've come, O God, to do your will. This is the Christ of Christmas, one who chose us, who chose us. Jesus is not just a loyal son. He's not just an obedient messenger. He's more than just sent to us. He wanted us. He wanted you. And the soul felt its worth. Have you ever had someone want you? About a month ago, I had uh, a guy call me up. And I, I often get uh, meetings with people and situations where people say, hey, I want to talk to you about this thing in the church or this thing in the Bible or, or I uh, could figure out some stuff. And, and I love doing that. It's part of my job. My favorite things in the job is to go sit across, have coffee with someone. But this guy called, and, and I said, okay, hey, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, I just want to hang out. And so we went out. And it helps that we're the exact same number on the Enneagram. So we got to laughing. We got to celebrating just how God had made us and, and just kind of connecting. And I was headed home, and I had this weird feeling. I was like, what is this feeling I'm feeling on my way home, this strange sensation? And as I thought about it, I identified it as the feeling of being wanted. Someone chose me because they wanted to be with me. Now, I know that's really kind of goofy, and it's really small scale, but think about the times that you have truly felt wanted, that you felt known, or you felt seen, or you felt loved. Maybe someone asked you out for a date, or they asked you out for a life. Maybe someone gave you a call and said, your name's at the top of our list. We want you. It's powerful to be wanted. By the way, please don't come up after the service. I don't want any pity invites. Oh, don't come up and go, well, I want you, Tom. I'll go up. No. I, I, I'm flush with friends. I just brought up that story to say, have you ever felt that feeling of being wanted? And what does that do to your soul? And here we see the willingness of Jesus. Christ wanted us. Your very welcome. And he wanted to do God's will, and he wanted to do it for us. So what did that accomplish? Well, it goes on, and he explains what he just said. He says, when it says earlier, you didn't want and you didn't like sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, and sin offerings, all of which were in accordance with the law. I mean, that's the deal. And then he says, look, I've come to do your will. This is what happens. He takes away the first so he can establish the second. And it's by that will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus the Messiah once for all. This is the thing that's interesting to me. God is saying, I didn't want and I didn't like the system of sacrifices. But God, you came up with them. You invented it. It's according to your law. You came up with this thing, this system, and you're saying, but I didn't like it and I didn't want it. Well, if you didn't like it and you didn't want it, what is it you liked and what is it you wanted? It says Jesus took away the first system of sacrifices, the system of relating to God the first way we did to establish a better system. And it's by his willingness, his agency, his choice to want us that we have been sanctified. That's just a, a, a big word, which is another way of saying we've been made clean this time from the inside out. Once for all. We don't have to go back to a temple over and over again and, and offer sacrifices and wonder, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough for you, God? We are restored to God because Christ is enough. God said, I never wanted, nor did I like sacrifices. Then what did he want? What did he sacrifice? Well, what he wanted and what he, what he liked 
was us. He wanted our hearts, and he wanted us to be with him willingly. And at the heart of all of this is the voluntary, obedient, wanting as will of our Messiah, King Jesus. This was Jesus' Advent way of life. We've been in a series this Advent talking about how Advent is not just a season. It's the whole way we are to live our lives. And we see this willingness in Christ. We see it so strongly here in John 10 where, listen to what he said. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to receive it back again. This is the command I received from my Father. It's so powerful. Jesus is saying, no one took it from me. I wanted to lay it down. And so if we go from this image of this helpless baby in a cradle to this powerful image of our king, Jesus wasn't passive, he wasn't helpless, he was in complete command of his own journey to the cross. Nobody took a thing from him. He laid down his life willingly to obey God and to want us. And so we walk away from this and say, well, we, Jesus is modeling our Advent way of life. We want to obey God like Jesus did. Not because obeying God is going to finally be enough and he'll, he'll, he'll love us. And he'll, No, no, no. Jesus did away with the first system. We obey God because we want to follow in the footsteps of the one who said, look, here I am. I've come to do your will. And this is our response when our souls feel their worth. When the king says, I want you. This truth really hit home for me Monday morning as we got the news that Noah Hobelman a young man in our church, had passed away. Noah had warred against cancer for a long, long time. His sweet family were gathered around him, and he closed his eyes here on earth. And yesterday, uh, we gathered in this room, and we celebrated Noah's life. We celebrated his love for Jesus. Susie was doing the eulogy. Uh, it, it started to hit me. It's in these times, the terribly joyous painfully good, that we cling to the hope that Noah is alive. He is right now with the Jesus who wanted him so much that he was willing to die for him. And that we will see Jesus again and we will see Noah again, all because a king said, look, here I am. I've come to do your will. Where do you need Christ to be enough? this week. Maybe this is a Christmas where you are like Noah's family and there's an empty place at the table. Maybe this is a Christmas where actually you have a very full house and there's a lot of stress and, and just stuff that all comes with that. Maybe there is an anxiety about what 2019 is going to bring. Maybe there's some uncertainty. Where do you need Christ to be enough? Maybe there's a sense that you've always wondered if God would welcome you, and this is a moment to begin to say, I believe that Christ is enough. What do we do with that? Well, we no longer do sacrifices, but we do remember the sacrifice at the table. The table is also known as the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a word that comes from the language of Jesus' day that means the thank you table. Say that with me. 
the thank you table. Isn't that great? When we come to the table, we take the bread that represents his body, and we take from the cup that represents his blood, we are coming to say thank you. It's the thank you meal. Thank you, Jesus, that you were sent to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you took on a body. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and did away with the old system. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose again to offer us life. Thank you, Jesus, that you did all of this willingly. And thank you, Jesus, that you are enough. This morning, we're going to come and take the thank you meal. We are going to do it a little different this morning. Down here, we actually have two tables and then two in the back. We have a table upstairs, and they're going to be bringing some by. You're going to come this morning, and our students from our student ministry are going to lead us this morning. So you'll come up, and you'll take a, a piece of the bread, and you'll dip a portion of that into the cup. And then as you take the thank you meal, uh, our students are going to bless you by speaking over you and saying, Christ is enough. And as you return back to your seat, will you return by resting in that truth and saying it again to yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself. Christ is enough. Will you pray with me as we prepare for table? Jesus, we come to your table the act of faith that believes that you have welcomed us here. 